Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Because you did not take care of what I told you to take care of, then I'm going to take care of you. That's a bold claim. It's quite the threat, especially when you realize that it is threat from God. It sounds like the sort of things that parents would say, right? How many of you have ever heard when you were growing up, if you don't adjust your attitude, I'm going to come adjust it for you. Anybody ever hear that? Anybody say that to their own children? But unlike the way that parents' threats don't also, uh, actually happen usually, this one from God is uh, true. It's a promise, not a threat. And it does take place. He says to the shepherds, because you did not take care of what I told you to take care of, then I'm going to take care of you. We find the text in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it to you, and then we will pray and see what it is that God is upset about and what he did about it. Again, it's Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 4. It says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who tend my people. You have scattered my flock, banished them, and have not attended to them. I'm about to attend to you because of your evil acts. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 3, I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I have banished them, and I will return them to their grazing land. They will become fruitful and numerous. I will raise us up shepherds over them who will tend to them. They will no longer be afraid or discouraged, nor will any be missing. This is the Lord's declaration. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to lead. I pray for those of us who are leaders, that we would lead graciously the way that you have led. And I pray for all of us as followers that we would follow the way that you have intended us to follow for your glory and their good. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So far in this series, we've been looking at uh, the book of Jeremiah. We spent all summer looking at it. We've covered topics like God has a plan for you, that God says what he means. We've also talked a little bit about how life isn't fair and we don't want it to be. Today we zero in on a woe. A woe, that's how verse one begins. Woe to the shepherds. Now this is W-O-E, not W-O-A-H. Woe to a horse. This is a different kind of woe. This is the textbook definition of it. A woe is a distinctive form of prophetic speech, is often found accompanying accusatory or, or a threat, which immediately precedes an announcement of judgment. This woe is directed toward the shepherds, towards the shepherds. Even though we're already in uh, chapter 23 of this book, we haven't really covered the idea of Jeremiah and the shepherds, but repeatedly Jeremiah writes towards shepherds. He said a number of things towards these shepherds. In 1021, the direct quote is, the shepherds are stupid. In 1210, the quote is, the shepherds have destroyed my vineyard and have trampled on the land. What is it that Jeremiah has against the shepherds? He talks about them a lot, and it's almost always negative. Now, to the encouragement of actual real shepherds, people who take care of sheep, 
Jeremiah is not talking about them, which is good. Because I can imagine a shepherd standing over there going, what did we do to this guy? You know, this guy is so mad at us. It's not real shepherds. What Jeremiah is talking to is the kings or the civic leaders, those who would be elected officials in our country. He is speaking a little bit about uh, spiritual leaders, but these spiritual leaders were people who had traded their voice, their, their prophetic voice for a political voice. In our modern day, they have used their pulpit for political reasons. These are the people that Jeremiah is speaking to. And this isn't unusual for the Bible. One of the passages that you ought to at some point study is Ezekiel chapter 34. You should know it the same way that we know Psalm 23, the same way that you know John 10. Ezekiel 34 speaks a lot about God's expectations for those who are leaders, the leaders of his people. And it's broad. It's broadly applicable. Also, in the previous chapters, Jeremiah 20, 21, 22, Jeremiah has been speaking about three kings in particular. So when he gets to 23 and he says, woe to the shepherds, he's talking about kings. The other idea that you should keep in mind is that David, the second but the greatest king of Israel, was always described, frequently described as the shepherd king. When they go to anoint him. He's taking care of the sheep. It says in, in Psalm 34 that they brought him out of the sheep's pen to, to lead the people with a, with a skillful hand and a heart of integrity. David was the prototypical shepherd king, the one that all the other kings were supposed to be like, and yet they weren't. They weren't acting the way that they were supposed to act like. That's why Jeremiah prophesies and says, whoa, bad, toward those shepherds, towards those shepherd kings. So this passage is what we call an oracle against the leaders. This is kind of bad word against the people who were in charge. They are acting in a way that God is not pleased with. So he's going to take care of that. He's going to take care of that. The question is, what is it that the kings did? Or specifically, what is it that they did not do in order to make God mad? We can see it in verse two. The word that I use, uh, when I say take care of, remember when I started at the beginning, I said, because you did not take care of what I told you to take care of, I'm going to take care of you. In verse two, God says to those who are attending to the people, I'm going to attend to you. The word can be translated uh, take care of. It means to take care of business, to do what you are supposed to do. It's not common in our vernacular now, but used to. You could hear people say things like, um, I've got some laundry to attend to. Y'all ever heard anybody say something like that? Maybe your grandmother or maybe you. I'm not calling you old or anything, but I'm just, we don't normally say that. Say, I got a to-do list I need to attend to. It's just the way that it meant to take care of what you were supposed to take care of. Probably because of the the image of shepherds that we, we, we build up in our minds. And because of that word, attend. We get the idea that shepherds are largely shepherd leaders. So I'm not talking about those who carry for sheep, but just those who are supposed to shepherd the church or, or the community or the classroom or whatever. We get the idea that it's like this uh, lamb babysitters, that they are largely to attend to, to, to dote on, to, to make them feel good about themselves. And yet in scripture, largely the picture of shepherds is, is stronger than that. It's, it's more violent. It's, it's, it's a protector and a provider, one that kills bears and, and kills lions. It's not a, ba uh, a lamb babysitter. 
It is a person who has a specific job, a, a task to do. In our culture and in our day, we largely want our leaders to do what we want them to do. And the, what we want them to do is, is as varied as there are people. So this person may want the boss to be like super doting. This person may want the boss to just give us a direction and then walk away. And this person may want the boss to, to, um, to just to give me what I need and then step out of the way. And we, we expect them to do all of these different things. And largely, when we think about it, particularly when you're in the role of leadership, then you know that you have a task to do. You have something that you are called by God or positioned by the company or have a job description. This is what you need to do and all the rest of it, you know, that's just, um, that's just sprinkles. That's just whipped cream on top of the ice cream. They, I imagine, those kings were attending to a lot of things. They were doing a lot of kingly things. It's just they weren't doing the things that they were supposed to do. They weren't doing what they were called to do. And in verse 1 and 2, it uses the word scatter, that they were scattered. Here's the deal. Sheep... And in this word illustration, the people, they're not meant to be alone. Sheep can't fend for themselves. They can't provide for themselves. They can't protect themselves. They need to be in a herd and they need a shepherd. That is needed. And so when God says that his people are like sheep, then he's intending that they are herded together, that they have a collective strength in their numbers and that they have leaders that will protect and provide for them. That's what God has intended in this situation. And yet these animals were scattered. They were wandering off and the kings were just letting it happen. This is why in the New Testament, the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go and seek out the one that was lost, knowing that the one that is lost is as good as dead by itself. I just thought of this. Y'all wanna hear something that just ran through my mind? It's amazing how often I'm preaching and I'm thinking about something else, just the way that preachers work. And I talk to a lot of preachers, they all do the same thing. I just thought of something. I like country music, I like it just fine. But one of the things that just drives me up the wall is when they, when they try to like preach and, and when they try to get into religion and Christianity, they'll say things like this, I guess that's just my kind of church or, or a saltwater church. That sort of stuff is just silly. It's just rubbish. You can't just make up your own like Waylon Jennings church out on the highway in your old pickup truck. That's not church, all right? Sing about heartbreak or you know, something like that or, or cattle, but don't sing about the church, right? Um, it just drives me crazy because we sing it and it sounds so good. It's like, go to church because your mama said to. No, go to church because it's the right thing to do. Go to church because you have a faith and a community and, and you come together. Like, good if your mama told you to do it. Obey her and go to church. You know what I mean? Um, that just uh, popped in my brain. Um, and I really do like country music. I like it just fine. I'll just change those songs. Those are the honky-tonk ones. I can't stand the honky-tonk ones either. Where was I at? <laughs> okay, so the shepherd leaves the 99 to go get the one that's lost because you can't have your like saltwater church. You, you would, you need the shepherd to go get that person and say, that's not your kind of church. There is a church. You have to be back in with the flock. And it doesn't make sense to us in our modern brains to leave the 99 and go chase after the one unless you're the one. Unless somebody you love is the one. Unless it's your child or your spouse is the one, then you want the shepherd to go out there and get them because out there, they're as good as dead. And hear me on this, college students, young adults, people who are just getting in here, people who are about to be empty nesters, you are not made to be by yourself. 
you go off and stop making church a priority in your life, you are as good as dead. You need to stick in. You need to be a part of that. And they weren't doing that. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So when God says, because you didn't take care of what you were supposed to do, I'm going to take care of you. He means you're not going to be the king anymore. You're not going to be the prophet anymore. We're going to find somebody else to do this job. The foundational idea of Jeremiah chapter 23 is that God holds leaders accountable. God holds our leaders accountable. We often think that that's our job. We're going to hold our leaders accountable, but you are not positioned to do that. Furthermore, that is God's job. And God says, I will take care of what it is that I am supposed to take care of. He holds our leaders accountable. This last week, my family and I, and my extended family, so Jackie's family, my in-laws, we all went to Broken Bow, uh, Oklahoma. There's um, some cabins over there. My mother-in-law got a cabin. It's one of those kind of family vacations where a bunch of the families come together and we bring like a giant Sam's order and we just bring it there and we cook it and all this sort of stuff. My mother-in-law and my sister-in-law are good cooks and they were making all of this really good food and these great desserts, really great sweet baked desserts. And in order to eat those, I need milk, all right? Can't be having cobbler with water, all right? That's just wrong, all right? Well, other people can do it. I can't do it. And if it's hot, I can't have like coffee. Some people do that. I need like, I need a cold glass of milk. The problem is, and I'm not going to blame anybody, but Jackie forgot milk, all right? And that was her job. And she knows I need milk, all right? And so she forgot the milk. And it's not a big deal, whatever. There's a Walmart there in Brokeville. So um, there were like three or four runs to Walmart and everybody forgot milk. Every single time they bring back like fishing lures and like all kinds of stuff, but they forgot the milk. So finally I said, I'm going to go get milk. I, I like almost left during dessert to go 20 minutes to get this milk. So I go, I finally go and I get down there and I, I go to Walmart and they have this other little grocery store. I call it a Harps because uh, I forget the name of it and it reminds me of Harps. And so I go to Walmart and Harps and I come back and I have bread and I have some coconut stuff and I forgot the milk. I had one job to do, one self-declared statement of fact. I forgot the milk, right? So I had to leave back, go get some milk. These guys weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Here's the deal, listen, you can have really great, like, like a coach or a teacher, a professor, a boss, a pastor, and you can have all of these expectations on what they're supposed to be doing but largely speaking, we have a job to do. And a lot of times that's not the job that you made up for us. We got a thing, protect, provide. That's what pastors do, feed, protect, provide. So at this point in the word picture, God is saying that his people have two issues, two real problems. They are in danger and they don't have any protector. They're in danger and they don't have a shepherd. And to both of these, God says, I'm gonna take care of that. I'm gonna take care of that right now, look at verse three. He says, I will gather the remnant of my flock. In verse four, he says, I will raise up shepherds. To begin with, God says, I'm gonna get them all back together. Everybody's scattered, they're in danger, they don't have a protector. I'm gonna get them all back together, which is good and it's hopeful. But in verse three, there's this reminder, there's this, uh, this um, revelation in the story. Because up to this point, why are the sheep all scattered? Well, two reasons. One, the kings aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And two, the sheep have wandered away. It's the king's fault. It's the sheep's fault. But in verse three, God says, I will turn them from the grazing land. They will become fruitful. Oh, wait, sorry. Verse three, I will gather the remnant of the flock from all the lands where I have banished 
them. That's like a plot twist. The reason they're scattered in this prophecy is because God put them out there. God left them to the danger. God is disciplining. You don't need to know this, and we'll study it at another time, but there's, this is before what we call in Israel's history, before the exile. The exile was a point in which God allowed the nations from the north, which was really far east, but they came in through the north because of the Fertile Crescent. Y'all remember that? And so they come up and they come in from the north. He allowed the nations from the north to conquer them and to take a large portion of them back over to Babylon. That's the scattering that God is talking about. That's the discipline. Because here's what's really important for us to keep in mind. The leaders were in trouble because they weren't leading. The people weren't following. Even when they had good kings, they weren't following. They had the word of God and they weren't listening. God is saying the leaders are in trouble because they're not leading, but you are supposed to be following as well. This is the key. God holds leaders accountable for their leadership. God holds followers accountable for their followership. He says, I will gather them back together. So even though they're going to be punished, even though they're going to be disciplined, they are still my people. And I will bring them back together. It's a message of hope. And I will give them good shepherds. In the storyline, when they come back, they have Ezra, they have Nehemiah. These are good shepherds that lead them well, that they listen to. It's hope in the midst of a dark message. Yesterday in my devotions, this uh, quote came up and I thought it was really good. I wanted to share it with you. This is talking about hope. It reminds you about hope. Hope is a response to the future that has its foundation in the promises of God. It looks at the future as time for completion of God's promises. It refuses to extrapolate either desire or anxiety into the future, but instead believes that God's promises give the proper context or content to it. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That's what that verse says there. So this text is pretty straightforward. God is warning the leaders, you have not led well, so you will be removed, but he's not letting the people off the hook. You have not followed well, so you will be disciplined. And in all of this, there's a constant message of hope. God will make it right, bring the people back, and give them good leaders. This whole idea is all throughout the Bible. Like I said, Psalm 23, Ezekiel 34, John 10, 1 Peter 5. It's all throughout the Bible, this idea of shepherd leadership and sheep followership. It's all in the Bible. And Jesus is going to redeem that metaphor. Jesus is going to fulfill it. He is, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good as opposed to what? As opposed to those. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, not the Jeremiah 23 shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, not the Ezekiel 34 shepherd. I am the good shepherd who provides and protects and knows my sheep and will lay down my life for the sheep. John says, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is both the good leader and the perfect follower. Jesus is the one who prays, not my will, but your will. Jesus in that person teaches us what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a follower. Furthermore, there's this greater, more, um, more widespread personal sort of message that's in the Bible that uses this same metaphor, Isaiah 53. In verse six, it says, we all went astray like sheep. We're all self-scattered sheep. We have all turned to our own way. Every person, every human has rebelled against God. 
You've gone your own way. You've tried to make it your own way. You've tried to define your own reality and your own religion and your own church and your own faith and your own, and your own personhood and your own identity. You've gone off like a sheep and out there you're as good as dead. Self-scattered, without a protector, without a provider. But Isaiah 53 goes on and says, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. The rebels. I didn't mean to say it weird like that. The rebels. This means that the good shepherd Jesus was also the slaughtered sacrificial lamb. The Bible teaches us that if you will trust Jesus, if you will follow the good shepherd, you'll be gathered together. You'll be protected. You'll be provided for. No longer standing in guilt, now innocent, a part of the flock, part of the family. So spiritually, the question that you have to answer, do you follow Jesus? Pragmatically, throughout your day, here's the reality. Modern leadership needs an overhaul. Modern leadership needs an overhaul. Here's a principle that I want you to pick up and I hope that you'll learn. It's simple. You'll, you'll think it's so simple. You, I don't even need to say it. We are all leaders and we are all followers. We're sort of obsessed with the idea of putting ourselves in one of those categories and usually it's to be a leader, right? If you play sports, you're gonna be a leader on the field. You're gonna be a leader on the court. You're gonna be a, a leader of this team. None of us are like really interested. You don't listen to podcasts about being a good follower. This is the follow podcast. Learn how to not make your own decisions. And in fact, we all say things like I sheep, you know, when we're talking about people who think Apple is actually better than it is. We all say these kind of things because we don't want to be that. But scripture holds both up as virtues. You are a leader and you are a follower. And to be Christ-honoring, we need to be Christ-like in both of those spheres. We need to walk in both of those places. The problem with modern leadership, and I'll say it's even worse since the pandemic, one of the greatest obstacles that we have is that leaders are just, just seem to be so selfish. So many documentaries, so many Netflix stories about leaders who pr were proven to be selfish. They were using the company, the organization, the church, or whatever for their own gain. That's a problem. That's an issue. But the other side of the issue is that followers are so sus suspect. People just don't follow anybody anymore. They feel like they're smart enough. They're smart enough to understand global economics or disease control or faith or religion. They're just smart enough to understand all of it perfectly like they are an expert because they were on social media. So we really should consider what's happening in this text and encourage ourselves to follow the good shepherd, to be like the good shepherd. I've told you all this before, but in John chapter 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the word that he is using there can be translated or is better understood to be, I am the model shepherd. Do like this, be like this. So the question for us is to ask ourselves, how can we lead more graciously? How can we lead more like Christ? How can we use the position of leadership or the degree of influence that we have to help others, to sacrifice for the good of others, to give up our, uh, what we could easily grasp, our own promotion, our own raises, our own corner office for the good of somebody else who needs it. We all have some sort of leadership. You might be an upperclassman, a teacher, a parent, spouse, 
You may be a veteran on the team, whatever it is, you have a level of leadership. There are some people who just look around their friend group and begin to understand you're the leader of that little squad. For whatever reason, because of a bunch of things that have come together, you're the leader of that squad. You all have leadership. Everyone has leadership. The question is not whether or not you're leading. The impactful question is, how are you using the measure of influence you have for the good of other people? Because God didn't give you that leadership for your own good. He gave it for the good of other people. Marian Anderson said, leadership should be born out of the understanding of the needs of those who would be affected by it. The needs of those who would be affected by it. How do we lead graciously knowing that God holds leaders accountable? How do we follow graciously knowing that God holds followers accountable? Like I said, we are so consumed with leadership that we are very often very bad followers. And we've got this bad notion that at some point you graduate out of being a follower. That at some point, enough life experience or a certain age, and you no longer need a pastor. You no longer need a teacher. You no longer need a mentor. At some point, you get to a certain age or a certain expertise or a certain um, uh, follower counts. And then all of a sudden, you no longer need to be a follower. You've got it all figured out. And that's ridiculous. You don't have anything figured out. You still have everything in front of you that you have to follow somebody and learn from some other people. Listen, God most likely gives you a guide, not a map. You don't have it figured out. You need somebody to walk you through it, to teach you. There's always more that you can learn or know. There's an old preacher story about a missionary who was lost, walking through the, the forest or the bush, lost all of his um, uh, waypoints, his uh, landmarks, couldn't find the path anymore. Finally stumbled upon a village. And there he found um, a, a group of people. He went up to one of them and said, I'm lost. Can you help me get back to where it is that I need to go? The person stood up, said, sure, and walked straight back into the woods. The, the missionary walked right behind him. And for an hour, he was slicing away at the vines and the undergrowth and the bush and just kept walking through. Finally, the missionary gets frustrated, gets confused, gets a little worried and says, are you sure you know where we're going. This isn't, there's no path. I don't see a path. You're just hacking away at the woods. I don't see a path. To which the villager smiled and said, out here there is no path. I'm the path. That's how life is. You don't figure it out. There's no point at which you figure it out. You just keep being guided by your leaders, by your shepherd, by your good shepherd. Stop trying to figure it out. Just enjoy it and walk with the good shepherd. So here's a few challenges I want to leave with you this week. Here's a couple things that I want you to think about doing. You might want to write them down, but you can probably remember. There's just three of them. The first one is encourage someone that is leading you. This could be a parent, a spouse, a boss. Find a way to let them know that they are leading well and that you appreciate them. It probably won't surprise you, but I have found, I have discovered that people say the things they're not happy with and think deeply about the things they're happy about, right? Which doesn't help leaders. It doesn't help leaders. I am only a pastor. I only pastor a handful of people. I couldn't imagine being a governor or senator or a boss of a big old company or something like that. But I know, I know what they all know. I know what you know. 
There are people within churches, there are people within our church whom the entirety of our relationship is them inviting me to lunch to tell me all the things that they're not happy about. Usually it's me, all right? That's the entire thing. Never once been invited to coffee just to hang out. Never once been invited to, with these people. Not all people. There's a group of people that they are nothing but encouragement. And I love that. I love the complainers too, all right? Just got to prepare for that lunch. But that's not the way that it ought to be. And I'm sure that's the way that it is with your boss, with your supervisor, I'm sure. Have you ever thought about it? Has the entirety of your conversations with your supervisor only ever been about, this is what I want and this is what y'all aren't doing right? Maybe you should change that. Maybe something should change in that area. Find a leader in your life and then encourage them. Secondly, look for ways to use your influence and your platform to help others, to help others advance in their class, to help others advance on the team, to help others advance in the, the corporation. The best bosses, the best supervisors are those who develop and lead up, help them advance in that career. It may not even be on your team. They may switch teams. They may switch corporations, but that's fine because God gave you a position to help other people. Look for a leader to encourage. Look for a follower to develop. And thirdly, how is Jesus, the good shepherd, leading you? So if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not praying, if you're not attending a small group, if you're not participating in church, if you're not listening to uh, music that uplifts God and who God is, if you're not doing all of that, then my question is this, how is it that, how is it that the good shepherd is leading you? Have you gotten to the point where you could honestly say in your relationship, you know, Jesus, I'll take it from here. I don't need your, I don't need your guidance in my life. I don't need your guidance in my marriage. I don't need your guidance in my career or my development. I'll just do all of this on my own. If you can't say any of those, or maybe some other ones, I don't know, talk to a mentor or, or something like that. Somebody who's going to pour into your life usually needs to be the scriptures. And if this is not happening, then how is it that the good shepherd is leading you? So you got to find something. I'm not telling you which one besides the Bible, read your Bible, but the rest of them, I'm not, I don't know. Find something. Encourage a leader, develop a follower, follow Jesus. Leland and Jackie aren't here today. They're up in Fayetteville. Leland's on, a, on an AAU uh, basketball team and he's got a, a game this afternoon. Right now, they're attending church up there because it's Sunday and you should go to church on Sunday even if you're not here, side note. But um, he's on this little basketball team and if, you've, if you're a parent, if you've had kids, the last two years have not been great on his teams because he had a horrible coach. I mean, she was bad. She yelled all the time, showed up late, mean I don't even I don't know that she's ever played basketball but this one he's a really good coach just a fantastic coach he doesn't ever yell but he's he's stern he tells them exactly what he expects and he celebrates when they do it he uh he also played um for Central Baptist College which to those guys to the team he, he might as well have gone pro all right so they just think this guy is so cool and he is he's cool I admit it. he's cool he's young he's got that charisma to him he's got cool shoes all the stuff that kids like you know and so they really respect him. Leland the other day was texting his coach and he texts his coach something ridiculous that preteens text, you know, like a meme or some joke or something like that. And the coach responded, he said, that's ridiculous. Now shoot 10 free throws and run to the end of your driveway and back 10 times. That was his response. And I like that. I love it. I like that. See, coach is not trying to be Leland's friend. 
He's Leland's coach. He's not worried whether or not Leland likes him. That would be good. But he's worried about developing Leland. He wants him to be better. He wants him to be better. At what he's not worried about uh, being his friend. He's worried about being his coach. I like that. You know what I like more? Leland did it. He shot 10 free throws. He ran to the end and back 10 times. And then he turned around and texted him and said, I did it. Now what? He said, give me 10 more. He did it. I love that relationship. Coach is not Leland's friend. Leland is not coach's friend. He's a coach and he's a player. And they have one job to develop Leland. That's the job. So they're doing it. I wish we could recapture some of that in our own culture, in our own hearts and in our own lives, where we look at leaders and say, you've got your job to do. I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna do what it is that I'm supposed to do, so long as it aligns and glorifies Christ. That's gonna be my objective, that be your objective. I'm sure that we can, so long as we keep our eyes on Christ, our ultimate shepherd. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.